we've made experimenting boring. We test everything. We live, we are a very, very data-driven company almost to the extreme that everything's A-B tested, everything is put through, that it just, it becomes boring. This week, we are brought to you by Attest. Attest is a consumer research platform that enables brands to make customer understanding a competitive advantage with continuous insights. By combining unparalleled speed and data quality with on-demand research guidance, the platform makes it simple and fast to uncover opportunities with consumer data and grow without guesswork. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a weekly podcast where I have the privilege of interviewing one of our industry's leaders and this week is no different. I'm on a call with Joe Crawford who is Global Vice President Owned Digital and Orchestration at Pandora. Uh, I'm up north and I think Joe is on holiday in Crete so the audio might not be perfect but uh, hopefully this will sound good enough to be what I think will be a fascinating discussion. So, Joe, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give the audience a bit of a background? Yeah, of course. Hi, and um, thanks for having me. And I love uh, how modern we're doing this uh, in different ends of the um, country or continent, should I say. Um, so, yeah, I um, am the, as you said, global vice president of Own Digital Orchestration, which means a lot of different things. Um, I started out my career actually wanting to work in movies. So I went to university um, and I did my degree in creative industries. And then from that went into buying, which was not very creative. And I spent a long five years just working in Excel. Um, So very promptly uh, left that and went into marketing where I felt like I could start to tell those stories and and, and be a little bit more creative. Um, Again, I made my first step into insurance marketing which you know not the sexiest not not the not the um, the funnest but i i learned a lot there and it was when roles um not to give away my age but you know 10 years ago your marketing role was very broad i did seo i did ppc i did display i did email um i did print which unsurprisingly for people on the call insurance was very big on um and after that, I moved down to London and that's kind of where I discovered CRM and, you know, spent the next kind of five years doing that through a host of companies um, from a startup, Secret Escapes, which was very, again, quite broad. And you kind of got involved in everything as you do with startups uh, to luxury fashion at Mr. Porter, where, you know, it's a pure player. You're working with some of the best talent in the industry and they're moving fast because they can, because they're a pure player um, to Ralph Lauren, uh, which was a big, big brand, a big corporate um, beast in my first experience of that sort of side of things. And then I ended up at Pandora with the most confusing job title in the world. So that's a really nice mix of careers. And I'd love to hear the fact that you were in the movies um, and then got an Excel-based job. It's hilarious. What in that period, in that career, what's the bad advice? What are those bad recommendations, things that you just don't think should be out there in in the industry? Yeah, there's there's one actually, and it comes up quite a lot. And a lot of people say it in, in different variations, but it's always, it always means the same thing, which is essentially stay in your lane. You know, look, don't worry about that. Look at your thing. Be specialist in your thing or, or just stay 
where you are. And I think I think that's terrible advice. I think customers we know are shopping with us across a myriad of channels. Everything's interlinked. You know, we're all spending weeks and weeks trying to create a cohesive 360 um, campaign. And actually, if you just spoke to the person next to you and sort of found out, oh, what do you do? What's that? Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, it's, it's much better. And also, I used to hate it as well from a team perspective. You know, I, I would have a couple of teams. One would be leaving promptly at 5 p.m. every day and the other team would be working late. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if they knew what they did? And they'd be like, do you need a hand? Do you want me to get involved in it? Um, and then, like you say, when you start to move up, it helps to have a broader understanding. Um, and, and know what everybody else does. So th- that's one that I, I hear quite often and it always annoys me. And what's the downside of that? Like, if you stay in your lane, what what's the worst that can happen? I think from a customer perspective, you end up with a completely broken journey um, where, you know, someone's like super um, talented, they're doing amazing data-driven marketing campaigns and they're, they're really hammering you with this message on paid social. And then you go into the website, you see something completely different. You get an email that day, you see something completely different. Um, so from a customer perspective, I think it, it creates a very strange journey. And then from a personal perspective, I think when you then, if you, if you decide to, to move on in your career and you go into a broader role, you've suddenly got a whole host of stuff to learn that you have no idea about. I mean, at least if you have a little bit of a sort of fringe knowledge you're like all right okay kind of know how that works um so yeah i think that's kind of my two things with it i don't think it builds you for success so assuming you haven't stayed in your lane well clearly you haven't you've worked right across the board what what what's the bit of marketing that you're weakest on that you're most scared of that you wish you knew more about honestly at the moment the metaverse i keep googling it and i'm like I don't know. <laughs> I, i'm like i'm what is this thing like at one point i was like it's owned by meta and then it's like it's not owned by meta the guy in the 80s wrote a book and he coined the term metaverse, and i was like jesus so that at the moment does make me a little bit nervous because people are coming at me going she would be in the metaverse and then i'm reading up on it and i'm like we already are we're already doing four things in the metaverse we just didn't call it that so yeah, that, that at the moment is kind of um, giving me some holiday reading. I'm so glad you say that. I just I, I feel like a grumpy old man uh, moaning about the metaverse. But um, you know, like uh, on Thursday last week, I went to see a virtuality thing at the Barbican. That's that's how, <laughs> that's how East London I am. Um, and it was amazing that like, you put you put on the headset and you had a bat- battery pack and all the rest of it, and you. You, you had a sort of big like rabbit head basically but you could wear dresses and outfits by Chanel and then you sort of like walk through this whole kind of experience and, like, and that, that's the metaverse but that's as old as the hills really you know, and as, as you say and I think that my people who listen to this podcast regularly be sick of me saying this but uh, Meta or Facebook have just put a ring around all of these technologies and gone that's the metaverse and everyone's got really excited about it so innovation directors the world over are doing decks on the metaverse but it already exists it, yeah, it drives me nuts yeah exactly well, look, I'll I'll get you back on the podcast next year with your. You can talk about your your your, your successful award winning metaverse metaverse. <laughs> so, apart from not getting distracted by the metaverse, what is your marketing top tip? What is the that bit of advice that you find yourself sharing most often? I, you know, I can. It's terrible, right? I cannot remember who said it. I think it was my marketing director at my supporter, um, and he said, "Why." He would just always, whenever you presented anything, he would just, he was always quite cocky with it. He would always just ask it then, but why? Why Why do you want to do this? Why does the customer care about this? Why is this interesting? Um, and I think it's good because like you say, things like the metaverse, for example, or, you know, whatever the shiny new things coming up, it's, if it's not relevant to your customer or you don't think it's interesting, why bother? 
Um, so I think that's always quite a nice sound check, actually. Do you know, that really reminds me of my three and a half year old daughter. She's right in that stage. She's going, why? Why? You know, like, so, okay. And so how do you apply the why question to your work? Do you ask yourself that or do you just like have a sort of poster on the wall that says why and you point to it every time your team try and pitch you something like is it something you're rigorous about or is it something you just have in the back of your mind I, I think I'm quite rigorous about it if I'm sitting in a let's say a, a more senior meeting where we're coming up with the new campaign line or we're looking at the TV advert for Valentine's Day next year and they're talking about the story I will ask in the room so why are we doing this? What's the research? What do we think? And it's not, it's not meant to be provocative. Quite often there's a very good answer and it's like, all oh, right, okay, cool. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> um, you're like, oh, great. Okay. Um, but it also helps me understand it because then my job is to take that amazing brand message and put it into a go-to-market message. And if I understand why, um, then I'm better at doing it. And then when it comes to my team, there's not always a wrong answer. Sometimes like your team needs to work on something exciting. And sometimes, you know, the guy in my digital projects, team will be like, it's, it's cool. That's why I'm doing it. It's cool. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let, let's try it. We have time where there's space in it. Let, let's give it a go. Because if we just constantly work against, we've got um, a trading lineup, we call it our TLU and it's, it is the Bible that we do everything by. And sometimes if you live and breathe that too much, we lose innovation and we lose inspiration and, you know, people struggle. So I, I do it both ways, but generally there's never really a bad answer. I just kind of want to know what, no, I suppose the bad answer is, oh, I don't know. And then you're like, right, I'll mm. be doing it. Well, it's interesting. You've, you've touched on a theme that has come up in this podcast a bit, which is kind of hard to hear actually, given my sort of uh, past roles, is that innovation is used as a way of entertaining like different people in a business as opposed to actually looking for a solution to the problem like oh well you know we'll do an 80 20 10 split on that we'll do that we'll have a little, tiny little innovation budget of two percent where we just do some cool stuff because if you're with all due respect just cranking out like you know emails every day then if you're not experimenting with something then it kind of gets a bit boring and there's and brands sometimes need a way of retaining st- staff and talent by doing something interesting as opposed to wanting to actually use innovation to solve a problem so i'm just curious to get your your view on on that as an approach or have i got the wrong end of this thing no no i think you've got kind of the wrong end of the second the sense of i actually think and it's it's unique to the role i'm in at the moment we've made experimenting boring we test everything we live we are a very very data-driven um company almost to the extreme that everything's A-B tested, everything is put through, that it just, it becomes boring. Um, so I, th- I think it's more actually allowing yourself out of that and allowing yourself not just to focus on the conversion rate went up or add to bag went up or we can increase this by 1.2% because if you're doing that every single day, that becomes the sort of mundane. Whereas it used to be that that was the challenging and fun stuff. Right. So, so innovation is like a, a way of kind of re-inspiring yourselves to try harder. Is that what you're saying? No, I think it's just thinking outside the mold. We, we think we're innovating when we do testing. And it's like, well, that's not really innovation. That's just improving what we do. So what is true innovation? Right. What's the next step? Yeah. So maybe it is going into the metaverse, Joe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel like I'm talking myself into it. <laughs> you really are. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. 
Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. Right, so we are at the halfway stage now, so we are going to talk about your shiny new object. And so do you want to tell us what your shiny new object is and why you've chosen it? Yes, and I do feel like I'm going to have to defend this one. So I've chosen community marketing as my shiny new object, and I think it ties back to that whole data-driven piece. When you're looking at new startups, um, especially all these influencer brands, they're born out of community, and it's why they have such an affinity, and it's why they have such an amazing um, customer base. And actually, I think a lot of our big corporate companies where we're so fortunate to have big budgets and amazing media plans, we've kind of lost that sort of, how do we create a community? How do we actually go back to the desire for the, the product or the, the brand affinity? Um, so I've kind of got that as my shiny new object at the moment because I'm looking at it and going, but what should we be doing here and how do we do this? And then, and again, again I am talking myself into the bloody metaverse. You know, is it an online community in the metaverse? Who knows? But um, it's, it's, it's a thing that we, I think a lot of brands have missed. We became too frictionless, too get them through the funnel, get them to the checkout, and then they're off. And actually we forget, why do they want to shop with us? What, what is it about Pandora that speaks to them, that makes them feel, oh yeah, that's why I buy with them? So can we just go back to some basics on community marketing? So can you just give us an overview of, of what exactly you define as community marketing before we go a bit deeper? I mean, I couldn't possibly uh, do it in the podcast because I have a 140-slide deck on it. What does the summary slide say? <laughs> the summary slides, which I think are about five, uh, okay. basically say, <laughs> we love a deck. Um, marketeers, we live in, I've swapped Excel for PowerPoint. That's essentially what's happened. Um, so what we're defining at the moment is um, an, a space where fans of the brand and customers of the brand can connect with each other. And then it's, it's, it's the conversation topics that we're focusing on because we don't want to build, I don't want to build an online community on the website, like build it and they will come. They're having their conversations wherever they're having their conversations. But what, what do we want to stand for? And what do we want to put into that community as you associate Pandora with that? And that's kind of what we're starting to explore at the moment more of what is our community standing for. Could you give me an example of uh, some community marketing that you look up to, a brand who you think, oh, funny we could do it as well as them? What, Glossier. I think, I think Glossier are a fantastic example and they were born out of a blog. So, you know, um, she started uh, Into the Gloss, I think it was called. Um, and then at that point, she started asking her followers, you know, should I do makeup or skincare? Like, what do you guys think? Um, and they came back and they were like, yeah, yeah, of course you should. And she's kept that blog aspect of it. So she's obviously got, you know, a very successful business now where she's um, selling in pop-up stores and Instagram, but she still has this blog where if she's thinking of a new product, she'll go out and ask and say, I'm doing this. What do you think? Um, so I think something like that is, is what I certainly aspire to. And why do you think it's 
so important to you guys now because I, I, I thought it was really way, really nice the way that you talked about your big, exciting media budgets and everything that that buys you. But then you also, well, I picked up on that kind of tension or maybe a threat or a challenge from kind of smaller, more nimble community-based brands. Like how does a large corporate become niche and community focused? That seems like those are sort of two different things. How, how are you approaching that challenge? We're trying to pick it out by segments because I think that to your point, if we try and do it for every single customer, we're never going to do it. You know, we are the largest um, jewelry company in the world. So if we try and create that community, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a bigger thing. Um, we're trying to do it with a niche segments within our um, consumer base. We're also a gifting brand. So, you know, there's, there's only so much community you can create there. But with we have... Uh, an amazing community of really, really engaged customers. They are writing blogs. They are doing YouTube video reviews. They have boxes and boxes of Pandora bracelets full of charms, and they can tell you the story behind every single charm. But it's all organic, which is amazing. But we want to really um, help drive that and reward those people and also make them feel like they're part of something as well. Um, so we're doing it for a smaller segment, which is how we're going to try and compete with these smaller um, independent brands that are coming out with it born naturally in their DNA. And so what are the skills that you need as a business to do that well? Because I, I get the strategy, I get the theory, that, that all makes total sense. But when you're looking to upskill your team or you know, grow your team, like what are those traits, skills, knowledge that you need in order to make this work? Yeah, so we're, we're working on it across three departments, actually. So it's my department um, and own digital, but then I'm working super closely with consumer insights and brand. And I think that's the two skill sets. We need to really make sure, are we tapping into something that people care about? So asking the why. Why is this interesting to our customers or our fan base? Um, and then the, it's the brand aspect of really defining ourselves. Who are we? When we what's the word association we want people to have with Pandora? Um, so I think more branding and more consumer insights, if we can upscale that constantly into what we're doing on community, I think um, we'll, we'll do something really great. So before I set up Automated Creative, I used to work at Real Social um, and it was kind of so interesting seeing, and this is, God, oh, it's getting on for well, 10 years ago when I joined there and there was community marketing was very central to what they did. You know, this is kind of before like Facebook really kind of leaned in uh, paid, right? Essentially on, on mobile and stuff. And there was this sense that people in a community were a bit weird. Like, you know, we used to run the Marmite, the Mar the Marmite community and, you know, and people would like, who had Bulmers and Strongbow tattoos and stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, they're the community. They're talking about us. But isn't there a danger that you're talking to like a, crazy niche with all due respect to the people in that niche and how does how are you seeing that influence the the profitable mainstream that may not care about it that much but would ultimately drive the bulk of your sales i think that's where you find the right topic if i want to just talk to them about charms i'm going to find that super fan who you know is obsessed with our brand but potentially you know is the one percent whereas we're trying to find these broader topics that you know, potentially don't even have anything to do with Pandora product, but it's who we are as a brand. And I think that's hopefully how we'll avoid going into those those super fan areas because you're absolutely right. If you tested stuff on the top 1% of our customer base, I think every single idea we come up with would be like, it's amazing. 
amazing everything's perfect just keep doing more of what you're doing um, you're not really getting uh, the information that you want there so how do you how do you protect yourself against that I think it's having a broad group involved so like I say we're working across the three departments it's, it's sense checking it um, and then we're just going to have to test and learn I, th- I think that's the other thing that um, corporates struggle with compared to smaller brands is we'll make a 150 page deck I'll present it to the CEO then we'll do some focus groups and two years later we'll, we'll launch a community strategy and I think we, we kind of just need to start throwing some stuff out there and seeing is that taking off is that going the way we wanted to is it falling flat do they think it's boring and it's a stupid topic and um, I think we just need to fail um, but get stuff out there and so where do you see this space going like community marketing like what's it going to look like in a year or three years is it going to be pretty much the same same psychology but different platforms how, how are you seeing it evolving no someone's going to monetize it someone probably already has where it's going to be a, you can be part of the community and you'll earn points and you can, in fact, I do know there's a company that does that already. So I, I think it, it will become very smart and very targeted um, and almost start to replace affiliates um, and different uh, things within paid social. Because um, everybody wants a piece of it and everybody looks at the new, the new brands and you're like, oh, how do we do that? Um, so someone somewhere is already creating a tool to help us do it effectively and monetize it. So tell me how you think it will replace affiliates. That's really interesting. At the moment, you pay affiliates anywhere between what, 6 and 12%. Um, and where it's good affiliates, it's essentially working with your community um, or you know bloggers, different things. And then the other side of affiliates is your voucher code websites. I think if you're doing community outreach in a smarter way, you'd can hopefully uh, start to wean out of affiliates and wean out of these high commissions or the discount tactics um, into having a brand advocacy program um, where you get those guys to push uh, your message for you is is at least my aspiration. So unfortunately, Joe, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. Um, And what I always do at the end of the podcast is ask how you would like people to get in touch with you. And what makes a really good outreach message that gets a response from you? So I think the well, the best way and probably the worst way is LinkedIn. Um, but I get so many messages on LinkedIn. So if you want a good outreach, like put podcast at the start and cap. Uh, and hopefully I'll see it and I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll read this one. Um, uh, not nice. trying to sell me something. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's a good tip. Well, look, thanks so much for that. And I will see you in the metaverse in some community marketing <laughs> extravaganza in <laughs> couple of years. Joe, thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.